Well, good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church's traditional service. Special thanks to Tony and Nancy for their preludes this morning. And a happy Father's Day to all of you as well. Well, even though we're not gathered together in person yet, we are celebrating this special, unique time set apart in the week to turn our minds to the Lord and to lift our voices to Him. And the longer that we are apart the more we realize how much of a treasure the local church gathered is, and we continue to long for that, don't we? Well, today our call to worship is from Psalm 103, and our first hymn is based on that as well. Our hymns today alternate between hymns that talk about who we are in Christ and hymns that talk about what the call on our life is in light of that. I encourage you to think about those things as we sing, read scripture, and pray together this morning. Let's begin with the call to worship from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, 
and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenants and remember to obey his precepts. Praise the Lord, my soul.
Rise up, O saints of God, His kingdom's task embrace. Redress sin's cruel consequence, give justice larger place. Give heed, O saints of God, creation cries in pain, stretch forth your Well, before we pray today, let's read together responsively from the book of Titus, chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Guiding Father, forgive us for our lack of faith. As you called Abraham out of his country into unknown circumstances, so you often call us to walk through frightening, lonely, or unstable times. In response to trials of various kinds, we have certainly not counted them as joy. Like sheep, we are prone to wander at these times. We have turned, every one of us, to our own way. In moments of suffering, we have looked for wisdom from this world, comforting ourselves with man-made schemes to deal with our suffering. Our vision for what you are doing in our lives in the midst of suffering is blindingly clouded by fear and anger. Yet, in your immeasurable grace, the good shepherd has laid down his life for his selfish wandering sheep. Holy Jesus, thank you for the life of doubtless faith that you lived on our behalf. In the midst of every kind of trial and temptation, you responded with utmost trust and faith in your Father's will. Even as your Father turned his face away as you were crucified for our sin, you remained faithful to your final breath declaring your atoning work as finished. What vast, free, abounding grace. Spirit of God, bind our wandering hearts to you. When we suffer, be our vision by strengthening our belief that you always have redemptive purposes in the suffering of your children, as we so see so clearly in the cross of Christ. Enable us to cry out for wisdom when we lack it. Grow our faith in the promise that you will not leave us as we pass through troubled waters, that we will not be burned when we are called to walk through fire, and that we do not need to fear, for you have called us by name. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to read responsively from Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. Well, at this time, I'd like to call my sweet kiddos up to the stage. Happy Father's Day, kids. <laughs> I'm so thankful for the gospel of Jesus um, that we just prayed and read about. I have been thinking about Psalm 127, especially today on Father's Day. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And the longer that I'm a dad, the more that I realize that I am insufficient for the task. And that is good news because... We know Jesus. Uh, this week we were uh, thinking about having these guys come up on stage and sing a song. We thought we would ask them a question about our family. And we asked them at the dinner table. I was so thankful because they gave the right answer. And I'm going to ask them the question right now. You guys ready? So here's the question. Do you guys think we have a perfect family? No. no. <laughs> it's the right answer. We do not have a perfect family. And I'm thankful for Jesus because what he asks is for us to come to him humbly as we are, just as we are. That's what this next song is about. And as we taught it to our kids this week and sang it a number of times, I was hoping and praying that these truths would seep into their hearts, and I still do. But the more I sang it, the more I realized I need the truths just as much as a dad, any role in my life, honestly. I need to come to Jesus all the time in my weakness. Um, we're going to have the kids sing the first verse and then just invite anybody after that, everybody, to sing the rest of the song. Here we go. said 
Good morning. My name is Eric Solomon, and I'm the campus pastor of Tri-Village Church, our Streamwood location. One of our 12 values here at Wheaton Bible Church is that we believe in the power of prayer. Our team actually gathers each week to pray for you and for your requests. So whatever you're facing this week, if Father's Day is a difficult time or a time of celebration, we want to be praying with you and for you. So would you take a moment to text PRAYER to 630-260-1600. You'll get a response back asking for your request. And, and even if you want to remain anonymous, that's okay. We'd love to be praying with you. This week, we want to ask you to be praying with us as well. 
On Thursday at 5 o'clock, Pastor Rob will be hosting a Zoom prayer night with Pastor Josh Laxton of the Billy Graham Center. And we want you to join us in praying for our church, for our community. You can get the Zoom link right off of our website. Well, one of the things that I've loved hearing more and more about in my first few weeks here is the 90 missionaries that we support, that our campuses support all over the world. Through these missionaries, we've made some incredible partnerships. And actually, at the beginning of this year, our Kenya Go team visited one of these partners. One of the people they met there was Rahab. Rahab was part of this microfinance group where women loaned each other money to help start small businesses. And she had started a sewing business to provide for her kids as a recent widow. Now, one of the things that she did not have at the time was a sewing machine. She would make each garment, each tablecloth, one stitch at a time. Well, through your generosity, the Go team was actually able to raise some extra funds. And with that, we're looking to invest in people just like Rahab. Rahab now has a commercial sewing machine and has been able to sew more and has been able to sew hundreds of masks for her community in the middle of this pandemic. God is doing some amazing things around the world through your generosity. He's bringing hope and dignity to widows and making a difference for generations to come. So if you're able, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry just like this through Wheaton Bible Church? You can easily do this by one of three ways. Texting Wheaton Bible to 77977. You can also go online to wheatonbible.org forward slash give. Or you can mail a check directly to our church offices. We want to thank you for being a partner in ministry here. Now, I want to ask Pastor Rob to come up and pray for the offering that we're about to receive. Thank you, Eric, and it's really good to have you on board. Welcome again to Wheaton Bible Church. We look forward to your ministry in Streamwood at our Streamwood campus. And I want to invite all of you to be praying for Eric as he's making this transition over these last couple of weeks, as we prepare uh, for the days ahead. Uh, Having said that, I want to wish all of you, uh, all of you fathers, a wonderful Father's Day. I um, want you to be men of God who are secure, satisfied in uh, the love of your heavenly Father, And because of that, and and because you live vertically, uh, you are a father of the word, you're a father of prayer, you're a father who's passionate about seeking Jesus Christ and loving and leading your family to the throne of grace. I'm going to pray for you fathers in just a moment during our pastoral prayer, but before I do that, I want to begin by announcing, and I am excited to be announcing, actually thrilled to be announcing our reopening plans for here at Wheaton Bible Church. We had talked about reopening next Sunday, but we needed just a couple of more weeks to work out some of the kinks, some of the logistics. So our plan at this moment in time, um, by how we feel God is leading us, is to reopen three weeks from Sunday, which would be Sunday, July 12th. We hope at that time, and this has been part of the process for us, that Streamwood, our Streamwood campus, will also reopen, that that will be 
Eric's first Sunday live, but because we rent that space in Streamwood, we still are working out some of the details. I want to ask that you be praying that both our Streamwood campus and our North Avenue campus can open three weeks from today on Sunday, July 12th. Now, when we open, our service times will remain as they are right now. Now, these are temporary service times because we're running all three of our services out of our main or our west auditorium. So our 8.30 hour will be our traditional service. Our 10.30 hour will be our contemporary and our Streamwood services. And then 12.15 will be our Spanish-speaking service. Now let me just go through some of the details, and there'll be a lot more information to come that we'll be talking to you about and you can access on our website as well. We are going to reopen here on our North Avenue campus with a maximum of 250 people per service. Our goal is to reopen our Streamwood campus with a maximum of 100 people. 250 times 3 for Streamwood, it'll be one service of 100 maximum. We'll give on both campuses, we'll give us plenty of room to practice safe social distancing to keep people uh, six, feet up, uh, six feet apart. As you know, we have a large auditorium here, so that's going to work wonderfully. I want you to know that we will be disinfecting uh, between uh, services and that unfortunately there will be no children's ministry uh, when we reopen on the 12th. We hope that will come soon over the next uh, couple of months, but I do want to say to you that children are welcome to come with their parents when we reopen in just a couple of weeks. Now, I want to also mention that we will require people to wear masks. And we will not forbid singing, but we will encourage you to sing softly. Both singing softly and wearing masks, I want you to look at as an act of love. Now, hopefully, we over the next weeks, over the next six weeks or so, we'll be able to make some changes. We'll make a lot of changes in this in the weeks and the months to come. But as we start three weeks from today, we want to invite you to wear masks. We want to invite you to sing, but to sing softly. Also, I want you to know, and this is really important, because we're capping our services at 100 and 250 here uh, uh, in West Chicago, that we will require you to register ahead of time to reserve a seat. Now, you can't do that just yet, but beginning July 1st, my team is telling me you will begin to be able to uh, register. Now, what this means is that we will have three options now for you relative to worshiping with us. The first is you continue, you can continue to receive our streaming services online in your home. And we want to invite you, those of you that may have some health issues or other things going on in your life, to continue to do that. We will always be streaming live. 
And the second thing you can do is do the same thing in your home, but invite your small group to join you. Many of you are doing that or you watch it at a, at a different point on a Sunday night or a little later in the week. We want to encourage you to do that as well. So individually as your life group or your small group. And then finally to join us in live here as we get started with our reopening where we can minister to one another, encourage one another in a modified way. And we all get that. And it's not ideal, but we can do it face to face. So that's our plan, more details to come. I want to ask that you be praying that you would lift up this up to the Lord. Uh, we want people to be safe. We want people to have a good experience. And we are committed to God's word, which commands us to meet together. So having said that, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the godly men, the godly fathers among us here at Wheaton Bible Church, for the grace that you have shown them for godly families, godly mothers, uh, just godly students. I have been amazed over the years to see your hand upon so many families that are so profoundly and deeply committed to you. As Eric mentioned just uh, a minute ago, so deeply committed to the global cause of Christ. And so we praise you, God, because that's not something that we can manufacture on our own. That is the movement of the Spirit of God in us according to your grace as your Spirit increasingly points us to your Son. So this morning we begin by praising you for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the wonder of the free gift of eternal life, adoption, redemption through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And Jesus is the basis for our union with you. But your goal for us is communion with you, that we might know you, that we might walk with you, that we might sense your presence, that we might have a wonderful and significant a relationship with you that transcends any other relationship in life. So, Father, we praise you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we know you are loving because of what you have done for us in Jesus. And we thank you, God, for this Father's Day and ask that you would bless our families. We don't pray for our families enough. Today I want to pray for our families. That as the Willemsons pointed out just a few minutes ago, that we would recognize that while we are not perfect, we have been forgiven. And that forgiveness is not an abstraction, but it's a functional, delightful reality in our hearts. We ask that you would protect our families. We pray for the families in the inner cities around our nation. We pray that you would strengthen them that you would bless moms, dads, and children. And there would be a turning to you, a draw, that you would draw families to yourself. We thank you for the wonderful singles among us, and we pray, God, that you would bless them, that you would give them a wonderful sense of your love and your compassion. 
And we ask God uh, for all that's going on in our country relative to COVID and the racial turmoil. And we pray, God, that you would give wisdom as we talk about wisdom today. That you would give our country's leadership wisdom and discernment. That you would give us wisdom and discernment and knowing how to respond. I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Wheaton Bible Church that are really struggling with fear. And pray that they would find a Jesus invitation to come to me, a governing reality in their lives. We pray, God, that we would increasingly come to Jesus, whose load is not heavy, whose burden is not onerous, and whose heart is gentle. So, Father, as we now look into your word, we pray that you, by the Spirit, would open our eyes We are empty apart from you. Fill us in Jesus' great name. Amen. Now today we are continuing in our series from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And we're looking at this critical subject for us in our culture today, in this moment in time, because God has appointed us for such a time as this, where we're looking at the life-changing culture-changing subject of wisdom, God's wisdom. And as I just said, we're rooting it in this fabulous Old Testament book of Proverbs because Proverbs is to wisdom what oxygen is to your lungs. Proverbs is life-giving. But frankly, the book of Proverbs will make you uncomfortable It will make you uncomfortable because in this call to wisdom is a call to an extreme spiritual makeover of your values, of your habits, and your hearts. Now today is a significant day for us in this series because today we transition to the second half of the book of Proverbs, which begins in Proverbs chapter 10. And we move into this section, which is made up of these short wisdom statements. And it's these statements that have made the book of Proverbs famous. So here's how we're going to approach the second half of the book of Proverbs. Over the next seven weeks, we are going to look at seven different areas in our lives where we desperately need God's wisdom. So we're going to look at our words, parenting, marriage, friendship, what Proverbs has to say about pride, what Proverbs has to say about how we handle our money. But today I want to kick off the second half of the book by looking at what Proverbs has to say about anger, especially and primarily human anger, and how we might handle our anger wisely in a way that honors God. So what we're going to do is we're going to this morning to look at what Proverbs has to say about three things. The nature of our anger, the cause of our anger, and then most importantly, how we can change. But I don't want you to misunderstand 
today I am not offering you techniques on anger management. I'm offering you Jesus. My goal isn't that you might try to take a couple of principles and press them down deep into your life, which we need to do as if somehow you can do this on your own because you can't. Rather, that you would adopt a broken spirit and that you would so appreciate the forgiving, rescuing, unfailing love of Jesus Christ, most evident for you in his death on the cross and your place for your sins, that your bad anger would melt at the foot of the cross. And your good anger would come alive there. You see, when we're talking about wisdom from Proverbs, we're really talking about Jesus. Because the New Testament tells us wisdom walked out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I'm not offering techniques, but I am offering you Jesus in your battle and my battle with this difficult area in our lives that we see shattering lives all around us that is called anger. But let me begin with a story, a personal story. As many of you know, I've been recovering from back surgery for a couple of months now, and I'm still very restricted. I still have good days and, and difficult days. And so one of the things I can't do, apart from I can't lift anything, is I can't work in my yard. Now, for some of you, that's a wonderful blessing because you don't want to work in your yard or you don't enjoy working in your yard, but I love working in my small yard. It's a way I can put my mind in neutral. I love cutting my grass. I love trimming the trees, pulling weeds, all of those things uh, that uh, so many of us don't really enjoy, and they're enriching and life-giving for me. But because of my back situation, I haven't been able to do that. I can't ask my neighbors to do that indefinitely. So for the first time in my life, I hired somebody to cut my grass, explain to them that I like my grass long. I like it to be green, especially as we get ready to move into these hot months. And so they came and they cut my grass so low that they scalped it in a couple of different places. And so I repeated what I want, and they just continued to cut it low. And so now I'm on my second guy. And I hired him, explained to him what I wanted, and he came, and he cut my grass even lower than the first guy. Now, I wish I could say to you I was overflowing with joy in that moment when I saw my yard. But Rhonda will tell you I spent the better part of an evening angry about blades of grass. Now, what are your blades of grass? Uh, your hot buttons, what are the things that make you angry? You kids, is it a brother or a sister? Or is it a friend that's hurt you? Or something you want to do that your parents won't let you do? Uh, this whole COVID uh, situation and all its limitations and restrictions. Uh, you adults, it is, a, is it a boss that doesn't appreciate you or a, 
a, a spouse that does things that upsets you, irritates you. A friend uh, that has hurt you. Is it a money situation? Is, is it a health situation? Now, is it our, now that our culture is reopening, are you angry about the, because you think we are opening too fast? Or are you angry because you think we're opening way too, reopening way too slowly? Were you angry at the senseless murder of George Floyd? And all the problems that that incident pictures? Uh, were you angry at the senseless rioting, looting, and discretion of, destruction of property that followed? We live in a culture that's boiling over with anger. What is it that makes you angry? What are those areas in your life? You see, for some of us, our anger runs hot. Uh, we blow up, we let it out, we shout, we say things uh, we regret. But for others among us, our anger runs cold. We keep it in. We stay silent and we simmer in the juices often of our own resentment or even uh, bitterness. Uh, one form of anger, ah, hot anger, blows up. Uh, the other form, cold anger, clams up. But in both cases, there's anger. Now, while some of us have made real progress in our battle against inappropriate anger as we continue to walk with Christ and the Spirit fills our lives with the wonderful mercy of Jesus, most of us, all of us, struggle in different areas uh, with this painful reality, the reality of anger. And we're a work in progress. And so today, I want to help you. I want to help you by what Proverbs has to say in these three areas. Getting to what it looks like for us to change. So let me start with the nature of anger. And I'm going to spend, just want you to know ahead of time, I'm going to spend the bulk of my time here this morning. You see, according to the book of Proverbs, there are two types of anger. There's righteous and unrighteous anger, or what a lot of people call good and, and bad anger. Hot and cold anger are two types of bad anger. So we bump into bad anger in the book of Proverbs in chapter 20. But we've got to work with this verse for a moment. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will avenge you. Now, did I say just a minute ago, this is an illustration of hot anger? Actually, it's an illustration of cold anger, because we ask ourselves the question, who is this person speaking to? And I happen to believe, along with some of the best commentaries, like Dr. Kaiser's uh, commentary, that this is self-talk. That this person is not saying something to someone else, but this person is repeatedly saying uh, to herself or 
his self, man, I, I, I'm going to pay this guy back. I, I, I'm going to get even. And uh, that becomes self-talk. And as self-talk, this is an illustration of cold anger. Uh, so we could add, do not say to yourself, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. A husband once said to his wife, uh, why in the world when I get angry with you, do you never get angry with me? How is it that you can control your anger so well? And she responded and said, well, I go clean the toilets. And he said, well, how in the world does that help with your anger? And she said, well, I use your toothbrush. And that's cold anger. And it's common for all of us. But Proverbs has a lot more to say about hot anger. So, for example, we see in chapter 14, a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. And I could cite verse after verse in the book of Proverbs. But cold anger and hot anger occur in one verse in the New Testament together. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Now, bitterness is obviously cold anger. It's that which simmers and stews inside us. In the Bible, it's the jealousy of Joseph's 11 brothers. <laughs> it's the irritability of Israel in the wilderness. It's the uh, near-depressive state of Jonah in Nineveh as God uh, uh, announces he is going to love and bless and save uh, Jonah's archenemies. When we come to the New Testament, it's the cold, calculating resentment and revenge of the Pharisees towards Jesus. You see, cold anger always keeps a record. It never forgets. It never forgives. But the second word here in Ephesians chapter 4 is the word rage. Rage is an illustration of hot anger. Back in Proverbs chapter 14, uh, it's being hot-headed, it's being quick-tempered. Other places in Proverbs, it's described as lashing out. Rage is why Cain killed Abel. Why Moses murdered the Egyptian. Rage is why King Saul kept hurling his spear at young David, in order not just to scare him, but eventually it became to kill him. And it's why King Saul, in a, a tremendous act of public, uh, uh, a, a tremendous act demonstrating a lack of dignity, publicly went after David in order to kill him. It, it was rage. And it's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us our anger is a form of murder. 
Now, researchers tell us this bad anger, and we're talking about two different forms of bad anger, hot and cold anger. Researchers tell us that bad anger in these two different forms is the most pernicious, dangerous of all the emotions because of the things it does. It spoils friendships. It splits churches. It shatters business partnerships. It fractures marriages. It alienates children. And it separates us from God. Holding on to bad anger or sinful anger is like drinking rat poison while you watch the rat die. But the problem is the rat doesn't always die. And all you're doing is poisoning yourself. Now there's one more thing I want to say about bad anger before I move on. And I find this very interesting. According to the book of Proverbs, bad anger can become addictive. Look at chapter 19. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them and you will have to do it again. The last word, the word again, suggests that our sinful anger can become a pattern. Addictive. But let's go on. Because the Bible in general and Proverbs in particular also talks about positive forms of anger. It teaches us there is a good, there is a constructive, there is a righteous anger. And to be a follower of Jesus Christ is not merely to love what Jesus loves, but to hate what Jesus hates. So look at this verse a little earlier in chapter 19. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now the word patience there is frequently translated slow to anger. And slow to anger or patience literally means in the Hebrew to relax one's face. What a beautiful picture. Someone offends you. But instead of capitulating to either bad anger or either hot anger or cold anger rather, You relax your face, and you're slow to anger. And what verse 11 tells us is being slow to anger is wisdom. And the promise is, it's, it's to your glory. To your glory when you're slow to anger. Now hear me, because here we stumble upon a, a biblical ideal. The biblical ideal is not the absence of anger, but being slow to anger, being measured, being appropriate, being uh, restrained. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we read, be angry but do not sin. That's a command. There is a place for anger. Be angry at sin. Be angry at brokenness. Be angry at addiction. Be angry at injustice. Be angry at, at, at a spiritual failure. But do not sin. Do not, Paul will add, give the devil a foothold. Because you stay 
in the clutches of your anger. So I want to say something that you may have to think about. And that is one of our problems today is that we are not angry enough. We are not angry about the right things enough. So let me apply this in a couple of different ways. So let's take Jesus' famous statement. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Notice the alls, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And how important is this, Jesus? Well, this is the first, and this is the greatest commandment. Now, as I think about this verse, as I meditate on this verse, which I do regularly, it helps me to remind myself that Jesus is merely calling me to love God in the same way God loves me. And so God loves me with all his heart. God loves you with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his mind. God could not love you more than he loves you. And here Jesus is asking me to respond in kind. And I want to suggest to you, it should make you angry that we don't appreciate the depths of God's love and that we don't love God like God loves us. That should bother us. Uh, that anger should lead us to action. It should lead us to repentance. Uh, Jesus tells us this is the greatest commandment. Love me, love me, love me. And we read that and respond, no big deal. Don't make that mistake. Apply good anger to what Jesus is commanding here. That you have been wrapped around with God's unfathomable love for you. That Jesus went to the cross to secure your forgiveness. That your God is unexpectedly kind and merciful. That he is better than anything we could ever have, attain, or run after. should drive everything in our lives. And again, it should make you angry because it doesn't. We should be angry at our tendency to reduce holiness to being nice, to some sort of external morality when um, nothing is more holy than delighting in the wonder of God's love for us in his son. And that's the point of the great commandment. And yet we think we're okay if we don't do this or, or do this. Uh, but Jesus is here calling. He is calling to your heart. He is offering you himself. Come to me and love me. And I want to suggest, church, that what the world needs from us today is that we are angry and we are discontent and we are going to change because of our lack of love for God, which is rooted in a failure to comprehend God's unfailing love for us.
that we see in creation, we see in the cross. I want to suggest to you that you should be angry about the decline of the traditional nuclear family and culture. When from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we are told that the traditional nuclear family is central to social order. I want to suggest on the heels of that that you should be angry about abortion. You should be angry about adultery and abuse. You should be angry about racism and all the injustice that, that flows from that. You should be angry about our, our, our failure to address the needs of the vulnerable, our lack of compassion, our, our um, unwillingness to live uh, uh, the Good Samaritan life. I want to suggest to you that uh, we should be angry at what affluence does to us, what non-stop entertainment does to us. Because the, on the one hand, affluence produces pride. On the other hand, non-stop entertainment makes us indifferent. In other words, we should be angry at sin. And treat with dignity and compassion the sinners around us, starting with ourselves. But let me go on because there's an ultimate form of anger that I need to address. And that ultimate form of anger, good anger here, is God's anger. God's anger is God's righteous response to human sin. It's good anger. So we read in Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things the Lord hates, seven things that are detestable to him. And notice the, the words hates, and detestable, and then we have this list, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in, in the community. Now others have pointed out, this is not unique to me, but others have pointed out that the Bible is really a narrative, a story of two angers. The anger of God and the sinful anger of people. The one, God's anger, is good anger. The other, our sinful human anger, is bad anger. And God is angry because God wants his way. His perfect, loving, holy way. We as humans are angry because we want our way, our imperfect, unloving, unholy way. And these conflict. We first meet the anger of God when God drives Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And then right on the heels of that on the very next chapter in Genesis uh, chapter 4, we bump into human anger when Cain kills his brother Abel. And such is the story of the rest of the Bible. These two angers, God's anger and human anger at war, are at war against each other. God cannot and will not uh, forsake his greater glory, his loving purposes, his perfect plan. And self-centered humans are not motivated by God's righteous causes. 
And so we do not want what God wants. We do not get angry at what God gets angry at. And we are angry about things that God is never angry about. And so finally, and you know where I'm going with this, these two angers meet outside Jerusalem on that hill of death. When the anger of God and the sinful anger of humans collide on the back of Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ dies on the cross in our place for our sin. Bearing your anger and my anger. And God's anger towards our sin. You see, you can't have a God of love without a God of wrath. Because righteous anger is always a form of love. I mean, someone attacks your child, and it's your anger that catapults you into action. The more a woman loves her husband, the more she hates the addiction in him. Anger in its purest form is love in action. Good anger in its purest form has legs. It acts. You see that situation, you see this situation, and you step into it or, or you run to it. Now all this is to say, the Bible teaches us there is both bad anger and good anger. And the ultimate illustration of good anger is our righteous, holy, loving God. And it's wisdom that knows the difference between the two. Now let's go on. Let's go to the second question. Why does our anger go bad or why? What is behind it? What causes it? So look at this next verse in Proverbs. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect him. Now notice that word pride. It's really not what we expect. It's not what we typically say or hear. What we would expect is a fool's mouth lashes out with anger. But instead, the word is pride. And so we ask the question, why? And the answer is because anger is the fin and pride is a shark underneath the water, underneath the fin. It's our desire to have things our own way, to do what we want when we want. And so the point of verse 3 is when our agenda or our will is threatened, we lash out in anger. But anger is the fin. What's going on underneath is our own personal pride. Anger, you see, is a self-centered, arrogant response to a blocked goal as you have conceived that goal. So the two-year-old wants a toy and he's angry because you've taken it away because you know it can hurt him. Jack, a husband, has a really stressful job and he's a perfectionist to boot. So when he comes home uh, in the evening, he, wa he wants his meal ready, his dinner ready. He wants peace and quiet and a good time with the family and he wants the house picked up. Jill, his wife, is not a perfectionist. And she's got a busy part-time job, and she's got five kids. And she feels like she's doing well if she can just get through the day. And so in the evenings, Jack 
and Jill often clash. They're angry because Jill wants empathy and Jack wants cleanliness and their individual goals are being blocked and what's underneath is pride. You know, for me, I wanted green grass, not scalp grass. And I was angry because my goal was being blocked. Look at James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, your arrogant, self-centered desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. We have anger problems because we have desire problems. So how do we change? And I'll be done. Let me make a couple of points here. First, you begin, you're moving down the road towards getting a grip on your anger when you analyze your anger. Uh, and here what I do mean is, uh, man, you ask yourself what's going on. Uh, you ask friends. You, you talk to your spouse. Uh, you, this is a wonderful discussion in small groups. And let me give you five questions you can ask to help get at this analysis. And so the first question is, what are the things God hates that I don't? What are the things God loves that I don't? Or, or flip it, what are the things I hate that God doesn't? I love that God doesn't. And then finally, this most important question, what's a shark under my fin? Uh, what's going on? What are the insecurities? What are the areas of self-centeredness? Second, own your anger. Own your unrighteous anger and your lack of righteous anger. And by owning it, I mean you're continuing to analyze it and you're thinking about it. And, and when you discover it and see it, man, you confess it and you confess it and, and you turn from it and you take steps to overcome it and you memorize verses to protect, press God's truth down into your life. Now let me give you a fundamental principle of spiritual growth. It's not your weakness or your brokenness that keeps you from growing spiritually. It's your delusion of strength. It's your complacency. Oh, no big deal here for me. I'm not murdering people. Don't make that mistake. Own it. And the third and finally, transfer your anger. Transfer your bad anger. Transfer your lack of good anger to Jesus. And now we come to the gospel. Well, how so? Because this is exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ. When on the cross, as I mentioned earlier, God laid our sinful anger on Jesus. He transferred it to Jesus. So that the moment we believe, we find forgiveness and eternal life. Because Jesus has taken our sin away. Now let's say uh, you've raised a child who's now an adult. 
And that child is ungrateful. That child is distant. That child doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. You as a parent have three options. Uh, number one, uh, you respond with hot anger and you blow up and you continue to blow up. Or number two, you respond with cold anger and you become bitter and distant. Or number three, you absorb the pain and you forgive. And you do everything you can to seek to love and to restore. Do you see? Uh, how is it that we do that? How is it that we heal our anger? It's by you understanding that you are that ungrateful child. That you have wanted your own way. And you have distanced yourself from God. But God in Jesus Christ has come to you. And in his unfailing love for you, he went to the cross in order to make you whole. So the moment we come to Jesus and those moments in our lives when we continue to come to Jesus and to see Jesus as supreme, we find healing for our anger. And may God give you the grace to live in light of the wonderful reality that your Jesus is unexpectedly kind and merciful. And in knowing that and knowing his love, you will love Jesus with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wonder that all you, for all you have given us in Jesus. To think that Jesus laid aside his glory in heaven to become a man to redeem us. We praise you for that. And we ask, God, that you would take these truths and proverbs as we now apply these in these different areas of our life and you would use them for your glory. Change us. For Jesus' sake, amen. One day when heaven was filled with his praises One day when sin was as black as can be Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin Dwelt among men, my example is he The word became flesh, the light shined among us his glory revealed, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified, freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him 
Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. So, Father, give us the grace in this crucial moment in history, this very unusual moment in this history, to be the church of Jesus Christ, to not be angry about the things you're not angry about, but to instead be angry about the things that are deep and on your heart. And so, as we go into culture, God, allow our light to shine upon the people around us. And Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. You guys have a great day.
happy Father's Day and thank you so much for worshiping with us today. My name is Hannah and I serve on our student life team. While summer break is just getting started, our student life team is still having a blast. Each Sunday, we're uploading brand new videos to our YouTube channel for you to watch on your own time. And then on Wednesdays, we're gathering together in life group, whether it's through a Zoom call or together in person in a small group. We would love to have you join us. So invite a friend and come along with us. You can check out our Student Life page for all of the details. If you're interested in serving the next generation this summer, one of the best ways to do that is by serving in our Puente del Pueblo summer program. Each summer, the campuses of Wheaton Bible Church partner together to create the summer program, which helps students succeed in school, learn important life skills, and just have a lot of fun. Volunteers that mentor our students make a lasting impact in their lives academically and occupationally. Starting July 6, we're planning to open our Puente program with additional health precautions set out by our health officials for COVID-19. If you're interested in serving, you can go online to wheatonbible.org slash volunteer to get signed up or learn more about how you can get involved this summer. We'll be having a training over Zoom um, for our Puente program before July 6. If you're new around here and just starting to get to know us, we would love to get to know you a little better. It's simple and it starts with a text. Just text the word GIFT to 630-260-1600 and we would love to send you a small gift just as a way to say thank you for joining us today. But that's not all. We wanna partner with you in supporting local ministry in the area. So along with your gift, we would also send a one-time donation to a nonprofit in the area. Just text us and we can figure out where you would like that donation to be sent. That's all for today. Thanks so much for spending part of your weekend worshiping with us, and we hope you have an amazing week. Happy Father's Day.